This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Dr. Glenn Siegel is the Research Fellow, Esri Center for Iran and Gulf States Research at Haifa University. An expert in extremist and violent organizations, he has particular insight into both the background and what is happening now in the current incursion between Israel and Gaza. Dr. Siegel, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having invited me. The past three months look very different to what the situation is right now, Dr. Siegel. Can you just compare and, and talk us through what has happened? Middle of September last year, 2020, uh, we were signing the Abraham Accords with the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain at the White House. That was followed closely on the heels by Morocco, Sudan and Bhutan. That was with a President Trump administration. Came January, uh, President Biden came in and began to negotiate with Iran over a nuclear deal which Trump had withdrawn from. So straight away, the regional balance was looking slightly different. Iran felt it had an opportunity to become more assertive. At the same time, very much locally, within our country in Israel, the Palestinian Authority under Abu Mazen called for Palestinian elections, in fact, three elections this year, firstly for internally in his party, Second of all, which is a, a legacy of Yasser Arafat's PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, Fatah, which recognized Israel in 1993 and moved to become a Palestinian authority controlling Judea and Samaria of the West Bank. He called for parliamentary elections for the Palestinian parliament and for the Palestinian presidency. Now, this straight away created tension. It created tension amongst all those Palestinian groups who saw an opportunity to to take greater than that they already have. As I can uh, inform that the last Palestinian elections were some 15, 16 years ago. And that's how Hamas came into control of the Gaza Strip. Gaza is under the governance of Hamas, 100%. That is per se an autonomous, we could even call it independent state. However, Judea and Samaria is under control of Abu Mazen, the PLO, Palestinian Authority. And there hasn't been elections since then. What basically happened and has transpired since January is rising tensions amongst Abu Mazen of the Palestinian Authority and Hamas regarding of how these elections are going to take place, who can stand for election, and indeed what will transpire if Hamas, for example, took control of Judea, Samaria, the West Bank, and indeed the third area, East Jerusalem very disputed whether elections would have happened. All we've seen since January is every small opportunity, all the Palestinian parties, whether it's been Hamas, whether it's been the Palestinian Liberation Organization, Fatah, or even more radical ones such as the Islamic Jihad, taken every small opportunity to try and prove that they are the legitimate sole person, group, even if they are a terrorist group, who can represent the rights of the Palestinian people to go forward. Six houses in a small suburb of Jerusalem called Sheikh Jarrah, which is right next to the government offices, it's right next to the police headquarters, owned by Jews. The tenants were not paying the rent. The owners asked for the tenants to be evicted by a court order. And this blew up. This blew up because the PLO Hamas also that as an opportunity to try and vie as an election point 
when they were representing these six tenants came Ramadan and in the old city of Jerusalem, once again, tensions rose because there was disputes about who was going to represent the Palestinians for greater freedom of movement in the old city during Ramadan against what they called Zionist occupation conqueror. And so tensions fled on the Temple Mount and in Sheikh Jarrah. Eleven days ago, Hamas saw an opportunity to raise the ante because they were not being seen as the predominant representative of the Palestinians in the old city of Jerusalem. So they fired four projectiles, rockets, missiles at Jerusalem to try and prove that they were the people. They were the organization. As an election stance, what happened then quite clearly was that elections were cancelled. Israel in East Jerusalem, Fatah Abu Mazen has said, elections are not going to take place. And this even further angered Hamas. Hamas then saw they had a lost opportunity to cope control of Judea and Samaria as they had taken control of Gaza. And so they fired more and more missiles. Israel has repeatedly said there's red lines about who you can fire at, when you can fire at, and the distances you can fire into Israel. Firing at Jerusalem was a deadline was a red, red line that was crossed by Hamas. Israel responded. And so over the last 11 days, we've had an escalation in Gaza called Operation Guardian for the Walls, where Israel is protecting the IDF, Saal is protecting Israel. Yesterday, we also had missiles fired from Palestinian groups from Lebanon into the north of Israel. So we had the north, the center, and the south. Tel Aviv, the port city of Ashdod, and others have also had intense fire. At the same time, Iran is reveling in this. Trump is no longer in office. Iran is seeing this as a greater opportunity for it to assert itself as a greater regional power by its interference through proxy organizations, such as Hamas. Negotiations are still carrying on in Vienna regarding the nuclear deal, but it's on the sideline. People aren't looking at that. And that is also to Iran's advantage. If the focus is on Israel, as the aggressor, Iran believes that it can come out with a better deal in the Vienna talks on a new nuclear deal with Biden. We now are into the 11th day of Operation Guardian for the Walls. And Israel knows each time that we have such operations, they're harder and harder. And we all know in Israel right now that in order for Israel to assert its destiny, we might actually have to invade Gaza and remove Hamas. That is an opportunity that cannot be missed if it is taken. But quite clearly, if we had to look back to September last year and the Abraham Accords and what is transpiring today, it is a totally different situation. And I would say in a great part, this is due to the difference between the Trump and the Biden administrations and how Iran perceives it through and it's acting through its proxies for a more example Hamas. We have yet to see what's going to happen on terms of Palestinian elections, if indeed they will take place this year or not. 16 years without elections is a hard toll, especially for a leader such as Abu Mazen, who is getting pretty old. So we also have to look towards the next generation of Palestinian Authority leadership for Israel to have a partner for peace, because that's essentially what we want. Hamas is not a partner for peace, but Abu Mazen and Fatah might be. So 
That's a bit of the background of what's brought about this current military operation in Gaza. Palestinian elections, changing administration in the White House, White House, Oval Office, and indeed the perceptions of Iran. Dr. Siegel, a volatile region, much has changed, as you mentioned, in the last three months. There seemed to be so much hope with the Abraham Accords. Kovadi, what's the next step? What, what, three months' time, what can we hope for the Middle East? When we're looking at the Middle East as, as a bigger picture, we still have to understand that, uh, with the exception of Israel, virtually all of Israel's neighbors are in disarray. Syria is still facing civil war, the Arab Spring, Lebanon is a state without governance. I haven't mentioned Jordan, but uh, a month, six weeks ago, um, the king of Jordan and his half-brother almost ended up in a civil war and uh, uh, a coup d'etat there as well. Uh, Egypt has massive problems on terms of its economy and COVID. There is still a civil war waging in Yemen between uh, proxies of uh, Iran as well as against uh, the Sunni-Shiite divide. Again, Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates is involved in that as well. Iraq is still a failed state uh, coming under the governance also of, in part of the Shi Iran. So the Middle East is very, very volatile. And the smallest of things is a tinderbox which can flare. And as we all know, as we go into the Northern Hemisphere summer, uh, the hotter it gets, the more the tensions and, and uh, angers uh, flare as well. It's uh, usually traditional for big wars to happen in July and August. Uh, this year, we've come in a bit earlier on that. But I would say that uh, in, in longer term for the rest of this year, I think the other Arab countries surrounding Israel are going to be very, very busy in their own domestic scenes, which are extremely unstable, to say the least. So we might see uh, uh, some interesting things happening still in Syria later on this year. Uh, and uh, obviously uh, in Lebanon as a consequence of what they've uh, might be said as, as an extension of what's happening in Syria. But uh, I can also point out that uh, COVID is taking its toll. These are countries which have not had massive vaccination campaigns. And uh, as a consequence of COVID taking its toll, so is the economy. And uh, unfortunately, as we all know, that uh, the moment that people are facing economic hardships, uh, other things tend to flare as well. So uh, maybe things will turn out for the better in Syria. Maybe we'll see that Assad might be uh, removed from power due to uh, COVID and uh, not due to the Arab Spring. There's so many different factors taking place. And it's in, it seems that America is a lot less interested under the Biden administration of, t- of playing any role at all, almost like just a basic role. Um, you're talking about the, the Arab countries being involved in their own internal uh, issues. To what extent uh, can the Israelis and the Palestinians make peace without the help of foreign countries? Yes, uh, I'd say very easily that uh, essentially where there's a will, there's a way. And we see in daily life in Israel, Israel is a state which is a uh, very, very mixed population. We have between only 67, 70% Jewish. Uh, and even that part of the Jewish population is it's very, very split up between religious, ultra-religious, secular, conservative reform. And the other 30, 35% of the population of Israel is Muslim, Christian, Druze, Baha, and split up as well. Um, You know, if you had to look between the Muslim, Sunni, Shiite, and Catholic and Protestant and so forth. And generally speaking, on a day-to-day basis, there's no difficulty. Uh, Everybody works together. If you're walking down the street, 
Um, you'll see um, people are Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, or definitely where I'm living up north in Akko. Uh, on a daily basis, there, there is a, co- a peaceful coexistence. Uh, it is only when the issue of territory is involved in the big picture that certain elements become extremist and try and uh, assert their authority over others and their will over others. But on a daily basis, there is peace. There is a peaceful coexistence. I'd say if you had to look in other cities and other countries, I think there's far more unease than there is in Israel. Uh, how have we come about establishing a solution to what we would call Palestinian self-rule, autonomy, sovereignty is a, a totally different picture because that involves an issue of government and governance. It is an issue of establishing borders. And I think that is very, very difficult because, as we all know, at the end of the day, in the very last minute of any negotiation, the question of Jerusalem will come up. And that point, everything will stop again because there is no Jew that will ever give up Temple Mount, the Kotel, to put it under Palestinian control. And there is no Palestinian negotiator who will ever accept the fact that the Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa Mosque, would come under the State of Israel control. So I think that is the last hurdle that will be very, very hard to overcome. But under, without taking that into consideration, on a day-to-day basis, we have uh, peaceful coexistence. Dr. Siegel, thank you so much for putting this all together. It's not a simple solution. It's not a simple region. Um, it's certainly nothing what you said can fit into a soundbite when we're discussing the conflict here in South Africa. Uh, the complexities are, are so huge. And it's always um, useful having an academic with an expert in terrorism, which we didn't even touch on yet, um, give 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 insight and, and show the complexities. But um, you sound optimistic about Syria, so that is good. And you sound um, and, and you describe a situation where the majority are living in peaceful coexistence. So that is also reassuring and something that we can, when we watch the scenes that come out of there, um, hold on to and perhaps one one little thing just like one little thing can spark violence maybe one little thing there can also reignite peace so definitely thank you so much for joining me it's a pleasure thank you for having me that was dr glenn siegel research fellow israel center for iran and gulf state research at Haifa university